Good morning and happy Friday, Mike Broomhead. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday the 13th, as a matter of fact. Well, why not? Why not? Sure. Exactly right. You're not, are you superstitious at all? I'm not really. In Me fact, either. I love black cats. Yeah, I'm not superstitious very often. I, nothing really gets me. I just figure out I'm going to have bad luck no matter what. So <laughs> That sounds like a country song. <laughs> well, you know, you are talking to the, the redneck in the studio. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. Big guests on the show today. Coming up at 9.05, we have a conversation with a man named Pedro De Velasco. He's the Director of Education and Advocacy at the Kino Border Initiative. It's an organization that's trying to change the perception of migrants in the country. We're going to talk to him about what's going on at the border. A bit of a different opinion than I have, so it should be a great conversation. But at 9.35, Assistant Police Chief uh, Brian Chapman is going to join us from the City of Phoenix Police Department. We're going to talk about changes or possible changes to their use of force policy, public input, input things about crime in the Valley, drugs. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, recruiting and retention. Just get an update on the Phoenix Police Department. And then at 10 o'clock or 10.05, my friend uh, Steve Hooper, who owns a company along with his wife called Tripwire Security Solutions, is going to join us talking school security after the shooting that happened in Virginia by a six-year-old. Schools across the country questioning whether or not the changes they've made in security are enough to prevent shootings in schools. So that'll be a conversation in the 10 o'clock hour. So it's going to be a very busy show. We pick up this morning with uh, what happened with the Biden documents as this continues to grow. This is a growing story. Uh, now more documents found, this time in the president's garage. Uh, I want you to hear a little bit of why people are concerned about this from a different angles. But I want to start with the president himself. Um, I'm not quite sure this is what anybody wanted to hear, especially people in the White House associated with the president. Peter Ducey is asking the president about um, uh, what were you thinking about having classified documents in your garage next to your Corvette? Classified material next to your Corvette? What were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. But anyway, it's in a locked garage. Yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. So here is here's the issue. Uh, a couple of issues. Number one, the response from a former President Trump's camp. Number one said presidents are allowed to declassify documents. Vice presidents are not. Now, I don't know the act of that, but that's what the statements were made. The questions about where they were kept at the Trump camp in uh, Mar-a-Lago, uh, I don't suppose they were left out in the open either. So if it were President Trump making the excuse that they were put, they were locked up, but they weren't, you know, it's that's not the proper way to handle documents. So it seemed a bit cavalier from the president. It's one of those statements I'm sure he regrets now, or at least the people around him do. Um, it was in a locked garage is not good enough for anyone with classified documents. But there are so many other questions here. Uh, Senator John Kennedy was talking about this um, and, and brought up the double standard that seems to be out there in the minds of some. Well, I, I just find all of this surreal. It, it's um, it's almost like watching a Quentin Tarantino movie. I, I suppose my first thought is that uh, all of this is yet one more example of why in Washington, these see if it were not for double standards there wouldn't be any standards at all 
Now, again, this is a valid statement. Uh, I, the optics of what happened, you can talk about major differences. The optics of what happened, and the reason why this is an issue is because was there a cover-up? This is also about dates. The first set of documents were found in November, before the midterm elections. It was discovered that these documents existed in unsecured locations at the president's control, or the well, when he was the vice president, but under the president's control in early November before the midterms. This did not become a story until January. There were other documents that were discovered on December 20th. It was not discussed until er, you know, mid-January. So the question about a cover-up, and this is one of the things that Senator Kennedy, addre- Kennedy addresses, is there a cover-up from the White House? Aside from the obvious that uh, the Justice Department is investigating President Trump for something that President Biden himself may have done, there are a lot of other intriguing questions for the inspector general. Number one, was there a cover-up? The powers that be have known about all this since November 2nd. It's now the middle of January. Was there a cover-up? Who was involved? So these are, again, as an American, these are valid questions. Um, the questions about Trump and are valid as well. I'm not discounting. What I am talking about here is the double standard that Senator Kennedy, Kennedy talks about. With Donald Trump, it was this fight with his lawyers and all this was going on and refusal to give up documents and the statement by the former president saying that I can declassify any document as a president, so therefore I'm entitled to have them. The FBI raiding his home with rifles and vests and lights and sirens going in a full-on you know, assault on his property. Was that political theater? I don't know the answer to that question, but that's the perception. And here on the other side of this, it seems like at least the exact same situation happening with the former vice president, now the president, having documents in multiple locations. It was known far before that this was going on, far before it was exposed to the public. If you remember, there were pictures that were released I believe within hours, if not within hours, within days of the raid on President Trump's home all over social media of the pictures of folders marked classified and top secret. So this was exposed very quickly once it happened. It was a big news story. And now what we're seeing here is it looks as if the White House knew about this on November 2nd and no one started talking about it until mid-January. So now when they say that they are cooperating fully, it's been well over a month. Does the American public have a right to question that? So Senator Kennedy goes on and he's talking about the National Archives and their role in this. The National Archives was scathingly critical of President Trump and his documents. Uh, they've known about all this since November 2nd or 3rd. They've been missing an action with respect to President Biden and his documents. You, uh, you couldn't have found them with a search party. We still haven't heard from them. What's up with that? Another good question. And, and so as we all – we choose sides, we are so politically divided in this country. I understand my part of this argument because of the side of the aisle that I fall on. But you have to give credit where credit's due. You have to make acknowledgments where acknowledgments have to be given. This does appear to be a double standard. You have classified documents in a garage in a box next to a car. Then you have the president of the United States saying, well, the garage was locked. 
I mean, it seems to be a very cavalier response to what's going on. And then you talk about how long people knew it was never exposed. Why is the National Archives not speaking out about this? And I'll go back to a question that I asked before we go further with this conversation of what else we need to ask. And Senator Kennedy laid out a few questions about what needs to be asked. We also need to know, and I I think this is such a valid question, whether it's being asked behind the scenes and we'll find out someday, what about what other presidents and vice presidents have? What does Al Gore have? Is there anything that Al Gore has? Um, Is there anything that any former vice president has in their possession? And um, what about Bill Clinton? What about George W. Bush? What about Barack Obama? And not that they would do it intentionally necessary, necessarily, but are there documents that are being mishandled and stored wrongly that are in the possession of former presidents and vice presidents? It would be, at least for context's sake, would be whether or not these two stories are anomalies. We're talking about how they've been handled differently, but are they anomalies or is this more the norm and we're just finding out about it? And is there a system here that needs to be cleared up that when a president or a vice president leaves office, the documents that are supposed to go to the National Archives, what are the checks and balances to make sure that all of those documents go there? They're great questions. Now, finally, I want you to hear the last question that Senator Kennedy says has to be asked by the special counsel. Did any member of Congress know about this? I didn't. And if some of my colleagues knew about it, I'd I'd like to know why I didn't. Again, another fair question. So this story is doesn't seem to be slowing down. It seems to be growing legs. So there'll be more on this as the story goes on. Of course, KTAR News covers all of these things very well. And we're going to have updates as the story continues. Coming up in a moment, uh, the county recorder, Stephen Richer, was on with Gatos and Chad yesterday. There's a great story over at KTAR.com about it. He has got proposals for Election Day reform. We're going to talk about what those changes are and how effective they might be coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Let's kick it. Hey, thanks for being here. I could do the whole song, but I won't. I won't. They are dancing in the control room. Vanilla Ice, uh, you know, he follows me on Twitter. That's my claim to fame. Vanilla Ice follows me on Twitter. I don't believe it. That's a true story. We're both Miami Hurricane fans. I followed him. He followed me back. We commented on each other's tweets. We're brothers. We're buddies. Tell him to follow me. Okay, I will. Uh, Anyway, thanks for being here. Enough about my Twitter account and the... uh, the my childhood in music. Um, we've got to talk about changes that are going to be made or possibly made that have been recommended by the county recorder, Stephen Richer. He was on with Gatos and Chad yesterday. If you like a full rundown, there is a great story at KTAR.com wrapping it up. But I want you to hear a little bit of what Stephen Richer had. There's a lot of questions about election integrity, the simplification of elections, but also election security, making sure that our elections are free, fair, safe, and as simple to vote and as hard to cheat as possible. So here are a couple of things that the county recorder has recommended that could be changed to make things better in Maricopa County. You have to have your early ballot back to us if you're going to drop it off by Friday at the end of close of business day. After that, you can either take it to the recorder's office or another designated location, or you can vote in person like a normal voter on either Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. But you can't drop off your early ballot just at any voting location. 
So that would expedite things. One of the big questions about early ballots is you understand there's a verification or a curing process with the votes. So there have been questions on both sides about this. Everybody wants it expedited. Everybody wants it faster. But then when elections are over with, the big question is, did they verify the signatures well enough? That was one of the questions that was asked during the audit about scribbles and all these other things. Are they verifying signatures on the envelope? So you understand when a ballot comes in, there is a signature on the front of the ballot. When these early ballots come in and they have an individual, a person actually verifies the signature on the envelope as closely as they can to the signature that's on file in the county recorder's office. If there's questions about whether or not that signature is valid, they reach out to the voter for verification that that's the voter that voted. Once there's a verification, they separate the ballot from the envelope and then it's counted, but it takes time. So when people drop off early ballots very late in the game, it takes a longer time to count those votes, especially when there were so many people in this previous election cycle dropping them off. So that's one of the things here that could be expedited. Now, there's been some other ideas thrown around, but uh, we'll get into some of those. But I want you to hear more from the count from the county recorder. He wants to have multiple days to run ballots through the machines. And I'm suggesting that we allow people to be able to feed their ballot into the machine on more than just Tuesday election day. And I want to do that for two reasons. One, because people like that. Actually, I'm going to give you a third reason, too. Uh, two, because that would help speed up the process. And three, because it means that some of this equipment, those on-site ballot tabulators, wouldn't run for the first time on Election Day, which, as I mentioned in this paper, that's a that's a perilous system where you're running equipment for the first time on, essentially, the Super Bowl. So this is another question, and I, I don't know how what this would take because the way that the machines are calibrated. I can tell you that I had a combination of the way I voted this time. I voted at a location before Election Day, but I didn't have to cast an early ballot with a signature on the outside of the envelope, and here's why. I went in on Friday to a polling place. I identified myself. They checked my ID. They checked my voter registration. I checked in. I verified who I was, so they didn't have to cure my signature. I was already identified identified and verified there at the polling location. Now, they didn't have the about availability for me to run my ballot. So I went into a, uh, a polling place. I was able to uh, fill out my ballot. I did put it in an early envelope that didn't require a signature. I put it in a box and it was counted later. The idea here is if you want to vote early and the advantages for people voting early, of course, we understand. You can sit at home, cup of coffee, whatever it is, stiff drink if that's what you need and figure out what you're going to do on ballot initiatives and candidates and judges and at your convenience and at your leisure, you can have that all ready to go. Do it in your home. Many people drop them in the mail, but many people don't trust the mail. So they want to make sure their ballots are cast and they drop them in boxes. If there was a line on Election Day or even on the days I was there, if I was there on Friday. Now, I know Election Day was going to be a nightmare for us. It's a very busy day in this business. So I knew I was not going to have time, especially if there were going to be long lines. I wasn't going to have time to vote on Tuesday. So I went on Friday. Imagine if I could do exactly what I did. Go in, verify who I am, fill out my ballot. But instead of putting it in an envelope to be counted later, if there was a machine available for me to cast my ballot and I could watch my vote being counted. That's what he's talking about here, the possibility.
Um, and he said this is his response to people that disagree with some of these ideas. Well, I think a lot of my friends on the left are going to say, hey, you know, we shouldn't be rolling back the opportunities to drop off our early ballots just because you're hearing from some some people on the right who are dissatisfied generally with how our elections have gone. To those people, I would say I would say it extends beyond that to a lot of just sort of normal Arizonans who feel like we got to do something different in terms of getting our results faster and it doesn't feel right or it hurts my confidence when I don't know the results within the first three days. And, and that's if you we want expedited results and everybody does. We want to know sooner. And again, let's let's be honest. We also need to know sooner because if there are issues and if there are problems and if there are challenges, they have to start sooner. We understand that the case being brought by Carrie Lake is still in the courts. You understand that there were up until, you know, these were being handled very quickly because after Election Day, there's Inauguration Day. People have to be sworn in, not only in D.C., but here in the state. So there are reasons in order, you know, there's very good reasons to expedite the process. Are these good um, uh, are these good changes? Um so then this is how we wrapped it up. This hopefully gets us started at least with a shared set of facts and understanding of how the process works. And then we can discuss the competing interests. And if we choose to stay in the position we're currently in, that's fine. We'll manage. But just don't expect the results reporting to be any different in 2024. And, you know, again, that's a public policy conversation. But I just want to start in a good place and have a productive conversation rather than be talking about outlandish stuff that really does the voters of Arizona no actual help. And then so those are a little bit of solutions to help everybody understand and what ends up happening we'll find out but they seem to be reasonable requests to at least look into and look at some of the unintended consequences and see where it goes. So I thought I'd update you on that. Coming up in a moment of course Gatos joins me and it's the BQ poll question of the day so please hang in there. The Gatos Big Q poll question brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. Happy Friday. How are you? Yeah, happy Friday the 13th. Uh, I don't buy all that kind of Me stuff. Me either. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not superstitious either. I really uh, am not. I might not step on the line, you know, when I go and play softball, the white line. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the Friday the 13th that's more of a That's more of a tradition, though, than a superstition, right? I would say not so. Not jumping on the white line? I would say so. So, you know, but I, I don't go. I don't go out of my way. But yeah, I don't. Friday the thirteenth, I'm all good. Before we get into anything else, first of all, a great interview with Stephen Richer. We just used some of it, giving you guys some credit. That was terrific. And congrats on getting the governor. That's pretty good stuff. Yeah, that's the that's the cue. Um, yeah, Richer first. Uh, he's a smart guy. I really like him. I, he's so passionate about the elections. I think he's, he's pragmatic too. I think he's pragmatic on both sides. He's taking a lot of heat from one side or the other, but I think he's been pretty pragmatic on both sides. I think if you're taking heat from both sides, I think you're doing something right. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, the governor's going to come in today. So uh, I've never met Katie Hobbs. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting uh, Governor Hobbs today. She'll join us in studio, and we'll kick off the show at two o five. So. My cue is, what's the biggest issue you'd like us to ask her about first? Uh, Border, education, economy, and water. I'm not going to give away my uh, first question, but it won't be on any of those four. Okay. So you might want to hear the first question. Nice. And I think it's a really good one. Okay. Um, but, yeah, you know, how much can you do on the border as a governor? Um, right. That's a, huge, that's a huge deal. You've got to show me that you care. You know, you've got to show me that you've got some passion about doing whatever you can. Uh, she said she's going to put education first. 
I'm big on it, man. I want to see education first. I just, I want to know if she's going to get the teachers paid. That would be my first my first question about education because if there is going to be, I think, a major shift in policy between the previous administration and this one, mm-hmm. I believe it'll come in education. So I'd like to find out what those shifts will be. Yeah, uh, and then you know the the water thing. She said that Ducey. Interstate of the state did not release a report that, that right. you know, part, I think he said the West, she said the West Valley uh, might have a problem. Yeah, there's a, there's a development in the West Valley. And in order to build, you have to be able to show 100 years 100. worth of water and they don't have it. Right. So uh, and she kind of called out the governor, uh, yeah. former governor. Uh, so we'll ask her about that. You know, she's got to just continue Ducey's economy. Economy's good here. Uh, how is she going to continue that? So, yeah, uh, Governor Hobbs, 205 today. I'm looking forward to it. I think everybody should listen. Let's let's see what she wants to uh, the direction she wants to take the state. Yeah. And I like the cue. I like the fact you're letting the, the, the listeners weigh in a little bit on what they think priorities are. That's pretty cool. And uh, best of luck today. I will be listening to that interview. All right, man. I'll see you. All right. Thanks. Happy weekend, man. Happy weekend. All right. Uh, that is Gatos. And the Big Q poll question today is brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. You can go over to KTAR.com. You can answer the question. You can see how others voted. It's a good one today as the governor is going to be on the show with them this afternoon. So coming up just after 9 o'clock, we speak with uh, Pedro de la Velasco, who is the director of education and advocacy at the Kino Border Initiative. We'll talk to him in just a few moments.